March 26, 2020. I probably miss the Alpine starts the most. What do you miss the most? It's a real privilege to spend so much time in the mountains and there are many things I'm missing right now, but the most? Waking up in the dead of night, that calm silence only broken by the crunching of footsteps on snow and your world so tiny in the beam of your headlamp, but so vast in the darkness. And then the sun starts to rise. Welcome to the Roaming the Earth podcast. I am your host, Drea Castro, and I am here with Charlie Radcliffe. Charlie grew up in London and traveled frequently with his family, but when he was in university, he began having the urge to not just visit places, but explore them extensively. For Charlie, that came through living somewhere and learning the language. He lived in San Sebastian in the north of Spain for a few years before moving back to London. He discovered climbing and alpinism. Naturally, this love for climbing and alpinism brought him to Chamonix, France. The mountains in Chamonix caught his heart and soul. Six years ago, he moved there full time. Thank you so much for joining me and for being here on my podcast. I'm so, so excited to meet you. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's a real privilege and honor to be invited to talk and uh, I'm looking forward to chatting. Yes, yes. Can you talk about that excerpt you wrote? You wrote that in March, uh, right around the beginning of COVID. So this was written on 26th of March, uh, two weeks, I'd say, after we'd been locked in our houses, we're allowed out from from going from all the freedom in the world to having one hour a day where we're allowed out. We're only allowed within one kilometre of our house. And because Chamonix is a, is a town where people take advantage of what opportunities we have, uh, that one kilometre was also restricted to a 100 metres vertical above our houses as well. So we weren't allowed to go up into the mountains. We weren't allowed to climb. We weren't allowed to do anything. We were very much lockdown and and yeah it was it was a time of reflection a time to think about what's important to me and what i was missing and what what makes my heart sing and and yeah waking up at silly o'clock to go climb mountains turns out to be one of them that's so interesting i had no idea that that's how strict it was over there uh obviously it's a little different over here um and it was different from country to country but i you couldn't even go up in the mountains. That's so insane. Like, holy moly. Um, and understandably, you know, you guys are in much better place than we are in America. Sure. But it's, I mean, every country's had to react the way they've had to react. And, and everyone has to work within the rules they're set and try and do the best they can with it and make the most of it. Has anything changed? uh ever since like are you guys uh, a little bit more open you're allowed to climb again like what is uh what is the, the restrictions so we, now we had we had eight weeks of, of really strict lockdowns about two months so it was uh, mid-march to mid-may and then mid-may rules relaxed a little bit um then by beginning of june they're pretty much back to normal i mean there's restrictions in terms of of, of wearing masks of, of dis distancing and, and and those sorts of things but in terms of my 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 activities and in, in going into the mountains, all of that was back to normal. Come, yeah, end end of May, I was back out properly. Okay, and then that's so clever of them. You can't go. What is it? One kilometer. One kilometer from your house, but only you're not allowed more than a hundred meters above. Because if I go one kilometer from my house, I can climb six seven hundred meters up a mountain if I want to. So they were they were pretty strict on that. They were clever. <laughs> Too clever, frustrating so. Yeah, <laughs> they knew all of like the wild, wild hearts of Chamonix. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And now you're back to climbing, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, as a lot of people, my work has been greatly affected by everything that's going on. I work in events and, and organizing things, whether it's events or film shoots for people in, in the mountains, but that work has all gone. Uh, which is very difficult and problematic and it's, it brings its problems. But the benefit has been that I've pretty much climbed full time for the last four months, which has meant that I've had some of the most amazing experiences and really my life's changed quite dramatically, I feel, in the last four months where it's just, just the level of what I've been able to achieve and, and realise and see what I'm, get an idea of what I'm capable of, which is something that I've always been, there's always been something stopping me really pursue, whereas I haven't had that this summer, so it's such an interesting moment in time because we have the time 
uh, especially for those that, you know, who work in events or who work on films, were greatly, greatly affected. Uh, there's just a lack of work. We have no option but to really like reflect and look at the things that can try to find things that that really truly make us happy and if it's climbing or the outdoors for me it's the outdoors then so be it you know I mean that's like our escape right it is and we find that happy place and I get you know we've so much is, is out of our control right now isn't it like we don't know where our futures are going how the world's going to change yeah. and we've got an opportunity the only thing we can do is, is is control the smaller things the more direct impacts on our life and and for me that's climbing but cooking some art, you know, it, it's sort of, uh, you know, it's just trying to, yeah, trying to regain some control when, when everything has been sort of blown out of the water, really. It's such a strange moment because for the first time you feel disconnected from life, but then also I feel really connected to everyone in a larger sense because I feel like we're all kind of going through that same journey. Absolutely. Right. Like usually like a country is going through their own difficulties or war or whatever it is, you know, like changing of politicians, whatever. But right now we're all experiencing this in different parts of the world, in different corners of the world. Like people that I know in Nepal are going through the same exact thing, which is strange to me, you know, because that's never happened. So it's scary as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite amazing. It's quite a very unique situation that no generation for a long time, you know, the, the close book of the characters, the Spanish flu in, in 1918, which is, you know, yeah, 102 years ago. So it's, it's, it's something that our parents and grandparents have never gone through. And there's no, um, there isn't that experience there, to tell you the truth. You know, whenever, when you go through something difficult, when you've lost your job, when you've, you've gone through a breakup, when you've had an accident where you're injured and you're trying to recover, all these things that traumatic experiences we go through, uh, there's normally someone who's been through it and got through it and can sort of console you, recommend things, advise you, and, and just generally lead you and guide you through an experience. No one's been through this. And I think there's, there is a bit of a void that everyone's a bit like, it's going to be fine. You're like, is, is it, it going to be and fine? Of course, it will be in a way, but like, there's no one to say, look, I've been here. Right. This is going to be fine. It's it's blind hope that it's going to be fine, and it will, of course, in some way. It won't be the same, but right. know, it it feels apocalyptic. <laughs> like yeah. twenty twenty is totally apocalyptic to me. Like everything that could go wrong is going wrong. We have I know just sort of everything. Everyone like we're counting down. We've got uh, what three months left. Just get through the twenty or twenty one, and once we're there, then we can. <laughs> then everything will be okay again. Right. I am like UFOs are coming. Like I know it. You know, it's already proven that they exist. Like they're already here. They've been they're here already. <laughs> they're totally here. And actually, I just <laughs> they're totally here. I went to Utah. I went to Utah like three weeks ago and I totally saw a UFO, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> why are you passionate about travel and what does travel mean to you? I mean, life is about experiences, isn't it? And what we experience and how we experience it, who we share it with, who we meet along the way. And I love who I grew up with. I love my family and I love this place I've come from. But we, as much as we grow apart and change over time, I think to really sort of discover new things, it's, it's through people and through the, the, the more extreme differences you have with people, people in different countries, different languages, different, all, you know, all the differences that, that come with, with different people, um, is, is where I find the most inspiration. Um, I find it inspiring when you see someone who has come from a completely different world to yours and, and, and actually is a very similar person to you as well. Especially I find that here where like people from all over the world come to where I live and you meet these people and I go to other places and, and you find people with completely different backgrounds. But then we've got this burning passion together for, for, the, for the climbing, for the alpinism. And it's, it's amazing that you can, you can find that in this world. That's awesome. Yeah, it's definitely my experience as well. One one of my favorite experiences is going to locations that you find a particular kind of person when you're climbing mountains or when you're, you know, in in places like Chamonix or Nepal. There's specific kind of people and you're so alike because it's not like the regular vacationer 
that goes to the beach, which is has its own kind of, you know, uh, positive things about it. But when I travel to like Peru or Nepal, I usually meet the same type of person that has this passion for a climb or passion for hiking or trekking or, um, you know, the people, you know, putting themselves in uncomfortable situations. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and it's, that's a big part of it, I think, isn't it? You, you meet people, especially when you're traveling and moving around that are comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, the people who, are, who, are, who deliberately choose to be in a situation that is not easy, uh, but they want to experience, they want to grow from it. And that's something that's very unique to, to moving away from where you're from, where you're based. So you, you full-time live in Chamonix and that's a, you know, to me, that's like a ballsy move, you know? You're like, love the mountains, you know? I'm out of out of here, I'm going to the mountains. I'm living vicariously through you because that is like a dream of mine to just be like, you know what? I'm just gonna move to like Peru. I'm gonna move to Cusco and just like open up a coffee shop so I can go yeah. climb, you know, around the mountains in the Andes, like. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't come without a cost in terms of, you know, life. But it, it, it was, I was, I was, I grew up in London and, and I realized late in life that it wasn't what I wanted. I was 27 before I discovered alpinism and climbing. And I was like, this world was opened up to me. Uh, and my mind was blown. I was just like, you know, how is this possible? How can this exist? How can this feeling of freedom and challenge and difficulty and adversity? And very quickly it became apparent that it was something I didn't know I was looking for, but I had found it. And I was running, I had a digital agency. I used to build websites for people, run social media and, and yeah, digital services for people. And I was working really hard. I loved my job. I was motivated by sort of making money and for being able to go on nice holidays and to travel and to see places. But I was spending more and more time in Chamonix or at least mountain towns because that's what I wanted to improve. I wanted to become an independent climber. I wanted to become a climber. Um, and I had a business that was going through a difficult patch. I was giving everything to it. And when I decided it's the end of the road, I had a startup that, you know, these often fail, it's normal. And when it came to the sort of winding it up, I had some time to reflect on what's important in my life. And as much as I enjoyed what I was doing and I loved the intellectual challenge of it all, I realized a lot of motivation had shifted where I was trying to buy a future. I was trying to earn enough money, sell my business so that I could buy the chalet in Chamonix and live there and live the life. I can go again, I can do another business and that, maybe that one will be more successful. But that could take 10 years, that could take 15 years, that could take 20 years, it might never happen. Or I can go now live on less, have a simpler life and value time more than money and, and really value the experiences and the opportunities um, that I can take advantage of on a daily basis here more than, value that more than the grind in a city. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely agree with you for sure. Uh, I'm not quite where you are yet like i want to um but i definitely don't have a full-time job because i value my time and i value being able to go uh i'm gonna go to utah for like a week and then come home when i want you know and so i mean it's it, that is it's, and i think i'm an i know i'm an extreme and i think that people don't have to go as to as extreme as i do i think exactly whether it's no don't tell people that go live your life <laughs> like don't tell people that you know, everyone, everyone comes here then they'll be too busy so no i want everyone to stay where they are no i'm joking um <laughs> but, uh no i mean but it's but it, I, you know it's i am fortunate that i, I i've made i'm making it just about work going the extreme i have but um I don't think it needs to be that extreme. I think, you know, ha having, you know, it's great when you have the freedom to be able to go, you know, it's Friday, I'm going to drive off for three hours. If you're in the UK and drive off to the countryside there, in the States where you've got so many places to go and visit that are accessible, especially depending where you're, you're based. Um, and to be able to go and go on these micro adventures, it doesn't have to be this mega um, epic, although they're great as well. But like, it's, it can be just a little taster you know while to keep keep ticking over until you can do the big big adventure late, later in the year or something how many countries have you been to 
I was trying to work this out, and I'm pretty sure I've, I'm pretty sure I've been, I'm always like a few below my age. I was like, I want to get to the same number as my age. It's not that well, I think 34 is my, my last count. Um, which, you know, what is it, 209 or something there are. Um, not a huge amount. And I, I do definitely that's have- pretty, That's pretty good. That's uh, Europe good. makes it easy, I'll be honest. Like, I mean, Europe, I, I mean, I, I will have, I will go to three countries in a day here. I mean, find the same three countries, but like, I live right on the border of Switzerland, France, and Italy. So I'll go, you know, I was in Italy yesterday. I'm going back to Italy tomorrow. It's, it's kind of, it's very easy to travel locally between countries. What I found with, when I moved to Chamonix, one of the big objectives I had was I, I, I had a lot to learn. I was becoming a climber. I wanted to become a climber, but I was very much a beginner. And I saw moving there as the way to learn, the way to take my apprenticeship, to, to learn from everyone around, to become independent, stronger climber. And I've been here six years now, and, and it's now got to the stage where it really, just as the, the world shuts down, I've got to the stage where it's like, actually, you know, I can go to these other places and hold my own, you know, like I really want to go and represent what I can do out there on these bigger mountains, these wilder ranges, Alaska, Himalayas, um, South, you know, South America, like these places that um, there's a style and, a, and, a, and an approach to climbing that we, that is very much a European, most European sort of approach. Um, that I want to apply to these great ranges and to bigger mountains and and just as I was getting ready to go and do that, it was uh, everything starts, all borders start shutting down. So it has to wait a little bit. But God, I mean, uh, yeah, it's there's, coming. There's it's coming. To visit. It's all, it will. It will for sure. What do you mean by style of climbing? I'm not a climber. I dream to be a climber one day when I'm strong <laughs> enough. <laughs> but not I mean, yet. <laughs> Traditionally, big mountains, especially let's take the, the classic of Everest, you know, the, the biggest right. mountain there is. Uh, the classic way of uh, approaching uh, climbing Everest is you have these camps that have, you know, it's what's called siege tactics. You push and you keep going, you've got Sherpas to help you and you've got these big teams. It's a very expensive endeavor. I mean, these days it costs you the best part of $100,000 to climb Everest. Yes. Um, yeah. And it's a bit of a circus and it's... it's it's, it's the adventure's gone, you know, like someone else is putting all this fixed line in and you just attach to that so you're safe. And it's, it's sanitized. It's, it's sort of like, it's what it is. It's business. Um, and a lot of that was used elsewhere, but I guess you know, more and more so now is this, the idea of, especially what I like where I am is this sort of single push. You start in the valley and you go to the summit and you go back in one, one go, you know, you don't stop in the heart. You just keep going. And, and that's just like, I feel that opens up so much more when uh, when time is short, when weather windows are short, when it's not safe to be in the mountains for more than say ten hours. Like, cool, I've got ten hours is more than enough time. I can go up and down Mont Blanc in that time, rather than the normal three days that people would be on it. So it's like by going and being sort of faster, lighter, and by yeah, just by you know not not rushing, not actually running. It's just sort of, you know slow is smooth, smooth is fast, and just keep moving up, and then you have these. You can you can achieve great things and still be down in time for lunch, pizzas, and everything. So that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I am such a I'm a slow 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 hiker from injuries. <laughs> so just thinking about like climbing with rope, like trying to wrap my head around how you could do that so fast is so amazing to me. Uh, so like strong, you guys are like strong ass climbers, like, geez, <laughs> what is your favorite trail, like or hike or mountain or, or summit and why? It's an impossible, I mean, like it's, it's so hard. I, I feel that I'm genuinely happy just being outdoors. You know, like I, I go often with an objective. I want to go climb this, I want to ski that, I want to run this, hike that, whatever it might be. Often things go wrong, you know, like um, the weather changes. Uh, you feel sick, you don't feel, you're tired, you've been doing too much. Uh, I had something where I went to go rock climbing and I got to the base of the rock climb and I forgot my rock shoes. You know, like you make mistakes, these things happen. Um, and you have to turn around because, you know, you can't do what you want to do. You have to change, plan B, plan C, plan D. And it just doesn't matter. For me, like, yeah, that sucks a bit. I kind of wish I would have done that. But then the other part of me is like, 
and what? Like we're out here, we're doing this. We're we're in this environment where uh, it's very pure and simple. Like it's there's, there's a clarity to being in the outdoors, and I don't think it matters what level someone's performing at or what they're doing. I think we can all experience it, and that's kind of beautiful as well. There's a simplicity to the outdoors for sure. It's the not worrying about what was going on in the world kind of thing. And you're just, you have one task, which is to get up to the top of this mountain or just to enjoy the atmosphere and make some food for yourself. Like it's like the simplest of things. It's like food, shelter, and then- You're present, you know, aren't you? Yeah. It's, food, it's food, food and shelter uh, and friends. And then right. you have- you have, and you have Exactly, and you have that, and 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 you realise you're okay if you if you if you you know if you're dry, not too cold, got yeah. some food, and you got your friends, like you, you don't. And then you, you have this up. view, right? And then you get the view. I mean, that's the magic, isn't it? Then you get the when you're up there and you get the sunset, the sunrise, um, or you're in a place that you know you can't have that view without having gone through what you've gone through to get there. That's awesome, you know, like. The, the you know the cliche the journey is 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 the is the destination sort of thing and it's very true it's great getting to the top it's great reaching a point but like what you go through to get somewhere adds so much more value when you get there yeah because you worked for it uh, and uh, a lot of times you go to places where it's really difficult to get to especially you most people can't do what you do and then when you're standing up there you know that it's kind of yours you know it is that's magical it really is spectacular and you're like yeah like there's a time this this winter in january we're on top of a mountain and it's quite high i have to, I have this project this year uh, which is not going as well as i hope just because of coronavirus but there are 82 uh, mountains over 4,000 meters in in the european Alps, so 14,000 feet in yeah. American terms so you're, you have your colorado rockies for 14,000 so we've got 82 in in and I wanted to climb them all this year um, and I've managed to do 52 which is still very good going in terms of uh, what that's we've had insane. that's insane uh, but I started in January and no one climbs 4,000 meter peaks in January because it's stupid it's cold it's windy it's kind of not fun um, it's just suffering and but I wanted to start the year correctly. So I was like, I'm going to go and do this. I'm going to go do this. And me and a friend were climbing and we'd had a really long day. There's a, there's a ridge line where you can do five in a day. And it was normally, I've done that in summer in five hours, you know, but we oh had to start in the valley because the lifts weren't working. And, you know, we ended up this sort of 14 hour day and we got to the last summit just as the sun was setting. Wow. And we're there at 4,000, 163 meters and we're watching the sun go down we've had this monster day and we're so aware that there was no one at least in Europe who was above us at this point we were the highest people in Europe you know and like and to be sitting there so remote so wild uh, a place that's normally actually quite busy in the summer but winter so there's no one um it's magical yeah, I that that must be the most incredible feeling just to know that you're like the only people that's there. That is so crazy. I can't believe you've done that many. It's yeah, no, I wanted to do the eighty. I wanted to do all eighty-two, um, which was always going to be a challenge in a year. Um, but I lost three months because of confinement. Are you starting to go again? I was stopping now just because conditions, weather's coming in. So the, the autumn weather kind of puts a stop to it. So I've done, yeah, 52 up until, so I climbed, the, yeah, I don't know if you know the Matterhorn, which is a very famous mountain in, in Switzerland. Yes, I saw that, that you did. Last, that was the last one we did about two weeks ago. Um, and then now the weather's come in. So maybe there's an opportunity later in the winter, later in the autumn. Otherwise, I'll get back. I mean, as soon as the mountains sort of become a bit more stable with the weather, then we'll get back out on skis and, and, and carry on and keep going. That is insane. I, I'm giving you all of the luck in the world. Everything that we have left of 2020, I'm giving it to you so you can finish up. <laughs> There's only a little, but you can have it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Tell me how you got into mountaineering. How did you go from, I don't know, you probably just did treks or hikes and... 
I mean, no, I had a very, un, I feel like it's unusual, but maybe it's not so unusual. I was dating someone who was into treks and hiking and this sort of thing. And I wasn't, I was, I grew up in London and I was a London city boy. I just, you know, nothing. And, and we started dating and she said, oh, I'm going to go climb Mont Blanc next year. This was like October and she's like next summer. And I was like, huh, I don't know what Mont Blanc is. It was crazy. I mean, like I kind of knew the, I knew you know, loosely what it was, but I right, it was right, just a right. mountain heard of background. It. Yeah. Exactly. And I looked into it and I was like, wow, that kind of sounds really cool. And I asked, I was like, can I come? And she was like, yeah, I mean, like, of course. And almost the rest is history. It's not quite as simple as that. But like, so we went on this course and, and, and Mont Blanc, although it's, it's, a, it's a high, very high mountain. Um, What's the I, uh, height? It's 4,800 meters and 10 meters. So I think it's about 1,600, 1,600 feet. Yeah. I think 16, yeah, so about 1,600 feet. 1500 and something maybe I don't know there's yeah. 4810 meters um and and although it's not technically difficult it's it's it, there is a glacier it's very high and also there are crevasses and there's, there's lots of objective danger um and it's lots of exposure and, and all sorts so you go we went with a guide who took us on a bit of a course and did three four days of acclimatizing getting used to the altitude and then we did some training and then we went for Mont Blanc and it was a huge success we we're very actually quite lucky I realized in hindsight that we got up it in the first time we tried not a lot of people don't right but this world was opened up to me I just my mind was blown about this environment even existed and at the time I was I had a web I was building websites for people and on the way down the guide's like I kind of need a website and I was like I kind of need more guiding and we ended up building this he's now a friend and someone who's a peer I climb with you know we've become definitely not equals but I certainly can climb I can hold my own with him now but he became someone that, you know, for a first couple of years, we swapped services. He would need a website. He'd need some digital marketing doing. And I'd do that for him. And in return, he would pay me in, in coaching me, mentoring me to become a, an independent climber and to sort of like show me the way. Wow. Wow. How crazy. A London boy <laughs> to mountain climber man. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. amazing. Uh, a lot of friends don't recognize that don't recognize me anymore because of that i guess it's it's funny how uh we're all on our own journeys aren't we and lots of people in different places but uh yeah what are some of your favorite peaks that you've climbed the matterhorn was definitely up there that was recently it's the first time i climbed it. it's one of those ones that's been on my list for a long time but for me as I was saying before, style was quite important, like how I went up it. I wanted to do it in a good way. So either by a difficult route or just in a style that I felt proud of. And so that actually me and my friend went and did it and we did it again from the car to the summit and back down. Um, normally it's a two, three day climb and we did it in seven hours, 40 minutes. Holy um, moly. Which was great because it was just like, we just, we never rushed. We were just slow and we felt like we were going steady, but just smooth. And we know each other very well. We trust each other implicitly. Um, and we just, you know, we kept looking at all our waypoints. We, we'd calculated how long it would take. We kept getting to these, these key points where like just to check time and check, you know, eat, drink water. And every time we got to them, like, it's a bit faster than we thought it was going to be. Well, we're still going faster than we thought it was going to be. And we kept being ahead of schedule, but we're like, okay, well, if, if it goes, it goes. So that was brilliant. I mean, that's just a great experience. It was one of those ones as well, where there was, um, in, in climbing, especially, but in outdoors, I feel there's that we I don't know if you've heard of the three types of fun. No. So type one fun is where it's fun at the time and it's fun afterwards. You know, you go on this beautiful hike, you go on this beautiful run, you're like, you're just enjoying it in the moment. And then afterwards you think back on it and you're like, oh my God, that was really awesome. Type two fun is when at the time you're like, this is rubbish. I don't want to be here. I don't like this. I'm scared. I'm tired. I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm, I don't want to be here. But then when you finish, you're like, no, nah, that's pretty cool actually. Yeah. Uh, you're thinking like, ah, that was, that was good. And then there's also type three fun, which is where it's not fun at the time. And even afterwards, like that still wasn't fun. You kind of have to tell yourself it was. 
Um, so there's three types of fun. So the yeah, type one fun, Matterhorn was type one fun. It was a joy going up and it was just a, a joy to remember. I do quite like the experiences though, where there is a challenge. There's a, there's a certain amount of suffering that goes into it that really makes you earn the result. I think, yeah, there was a climb this, this winter, which I first heard about when I first moved to Chamonix six years ago. It's an iconic ice and mixed route where you're climbing with ice axes um, yeah. and it's, it's really long. It's, it's pretty hard. Um, pretty it's hard like, for you might be like impossible for most people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it gets climbed and the, the standard is very high here. So it, for me, right. yeah, but it was still, it's a hard route and it's also a, a route that a lot of people want to climb. Like when, and it very rarely comes into condition and it came into condition this, this winter and I got on it. And I had to do it twice. Well, I had to do it. I got halfway up it, and then we had to turn around because of um, various reasons. Things you know weren't going as we hoped. And but I was so keen to be on it. I knew it didn't have long left because the weather was going to change. It would make it fall down. The next day, I went back. Like straight away, I need to get back on this. And you know, got to the top, and and I accidentally ended up where I had to lead the harder pitches, the harder sections. And I felt great, I was hard and scary, but I felt great on it. And I got to the top and it was just this almost perfect circle that six years earlier I'd moved here, first heard about this route. And it was just, I couldn't get my head around the idea of ever even climbing it. And now I'd just gone and climbed it and led the hard pitches. I was like, it was just this, it was this perfect, yeah, this perfect circle of like how far I'd come. And I think that's the same with, with a lot of my favorite moments in the mountains. Although of course they're on specific peaks, there are specific moments. It's, sorry, there are specific peaks. It's the moments that really I remember, you know, like I could, I could almost forget topping out on that one, but I can remember vividly key sections during that day and then how I felt when I got down. I mean, I was buzzing. I was just like, I was sitting there just like, kid at Christmas, got the best toys ever. And I was sitting there and that was it. Like, I was just like, and you kind of, and even here where people understand that, like, I was like, I'm really sorry, guys. You're going to have to put up with this for a few days. But I'm <laughs> Like, and I was, I was just like, just bouncing off the walls. All I wanted to do was talk about it. And I had to call up the friends who actually would still talk to me. And they're like, Charlie, call me if you can calm down. Like, but it was just, you know, you have those moments where it's really just profound. Yeah. And they mean something to you. You hit some kind of personal goal. That's a big thing when you're like, wow, I never thought I could do this. And now here I am leading the pitch. That's... And the doors that open after that, you know, I straight off the back of that, then I got this call to go and climb on the north face of the Eiger. And again, it's another route that was just like so out of my league. And we didn't finish it, but not because we weren't strong enough. We didn't finish it because of an equipment failure. Oh, and, wow. and But we'd climbed through the hardest sections and we'd climbed it fast. Like we'd done, we'd climbed three fifths of the face in 10 hours. And we're just like, that's you know, wow. pretty good going. And most of the hard climbing was done. And then we had to get rescued because this something broke. And it's like, oh, you know, but but that that was a route that I wouldn't even dared to go near if I hadn't gone, if I hadn't had the door open by the previous week when that one was like, I was like, well, if I can climb this, I can climb, I have a chance on this. And each time you're like, okay. And I guess that's the journey I'm on at the moment, is trying to work out where those limits are, where I'm comfortable, where I'm comfortable being uncomfortable. That's such an amazing progression in your climbing career um i wonder in a year from now what it's going to look like because i'm sure you, you're going to have to you accomplished a bunch of stuff by then that you don't even you can't even comprehend right now so i'm excited to talk to you in about a year and say all right what did <laughs> what you do now <laughs> what did you do <laughs> that's really amazing how do you find a partner? Like, how do you go, I'm going to go climb with this person, you know? What, what's the journey of finding somebody that you trust? I mean, it's incredibly personal. It's, it's a relationship, you know? And so as with dating, as with friends, as with colleagues, it's incredibly personal and it takes trial and error. Um, and they evolve over time. You know, you have some that aren't the right fit for you at one point, but then they become the right fit later and vice versa, people that you're really in tune with. And then you're not. Um, and, and there's lots of reasons for that, I feel. When I first moved here, I just put myself out there. I was like, you know what, I'll climb with anyone. And you rein it in, you make sure the objective is 
within your bandwidth, within your skill, your fitness, your motivations and your partners, and you feel that you can control as much as you can in these environments. And so then you go test the water and you can go to, you know, just go rock climbing in the valley. It doesn't have to be anything serious, but you just go and test the chemistry. Right. I feel I've now learned and learning better that like, yeah, you can tell pretty quickly. The same you can when you meet someone in a bar, whether you're actually going to get on with them. Someone, you know, you just have a, you develop an intuition. But then when you find them, it does take nurturing. It does take, yeah, nurturing is probably the best word to, to, to make sure that you are on a healthy track together of what you want to do. I'm very fortunate this year, especially, to find three, and well, I've had a pool of about six or seven people, but one especially, this guy Joel, who I do most of what I've done with this summer. And I saw. Yeah, I mean, me and Joel, we just, yeah, it's for one, like what works with us, like take, take a, a relationship that works, is that like we're very similar in terms of fitness, which is great. Like if I'm tired, I know he's tired. If I'm feeling good, I know he's feeling good. Within reason, we have our bad days and we've definitely had each other out of sync where we've had bad days. Um, but also what he likes and what he's motivated for, his part of the climbing he's motivated for, um, is different to mine. And so when we get onto the harder stuff, it's what I really love climbing. And so he go, I get to lead it all. And I'm like, this is wicked. I get to lead all the fun stuff. But he's like, I don't want to lead it, so you go for it. Whereas then when it's like he loves the endurance and the, and the, the powering through stuff. So it's like when I'm flagging and I'm tired, he takes over there, you know? And like, it just, it's really natural. And we have a very good read on each other where very, you know, there's been a few times we've been out and um, you just know something's wrong. You know something's not quite right. And we have a very open relationship with it where we can talk about it and like, is everything all right? There's no passive aggression of like, oh, what's that happening? It's like, no, let's just, let's talk about this. And is it fixable? If not, then we turn around. It doesn't matter. Like there's no pressure beyond the pressure that we always put on ourselves together uh, as a team. Then we never put pressure on one person that they're not willing to handle. And, and yeah, and, and, and there's a few other people, Mikey and, and Paul and people who I've climbed with a lot this summer who, again, we just, enjoy and yeah and especially Joel we just enjoy hanging out and these are very high stress environments uh where you need to be able to get on with a person and laugh like Joel and I will do 18 hour days and by the time we get out of the car we're still chatting shit laughing joking like and it's just easy, you know, like, so, so no matter how hard it gets, we'll go through these moments where it's really stressful. We've had some really difficult times this summer. And then we get to the other side and one of us will start joking and then the other one will start joking and we're like, we're back. And it's, you know, yeah. like, it's just that we really, really helps you get through it. I mean, it's a true partnership. I mean, like where that person shares it all with you and you trust them with your life. And then you, you know, take the shit, take the piss out of each other afterwards. <laughs> They, yeah, I mean, you literally have to trust each other uh, completely with your life. Mm. Um, so I've always found that really special. And I've always wanted to hear someone's journey of, of trying to find that person that you're going to mm. put your life in their hands and vice versa. So that's Yeah, and it's, it doesn't work out. Fine. There's times where you've, I've had to end relationships, end partnerships, because I've felt that our level of acceptable risk is out of sync which is fine you know some people are willing to take more risk than others um or just objectives or way they do things sometimes it just you diverge and, and it happens and it's just like a relationship when you're dating someone you know you, you can have a great time together for a while and then you realize that the deeper motivations or the deeper connection is just not there and that's that's okay it's all learning we'll hopefully bring, bring positive impacts and influences onto other people's lives we encounter. Was there a particular climb that you found really, really challenging? Um, and, and why did you find that challenging? I mean, all of them are challenging, right? But is there one that you're like, whoa? Yeah, I mean, some of that type one fun. I mean, where it's not, it's just fun the whole way up. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Joel and I had a, an idea of there's a there's a there's a 
the Mon Monte Rosa Massif, which is just in between Switzerland and Italy, not far from here. As part of that whole chain, there are 18 4,000 meter peaks. So I had to climb 18 of them. And they're all sort of link ups. And, and normally, I mean, to do all 18, most people would take sort of 10 days and you'd be in lots of huts and you'd be, you know, doing days here or, you know, and even, and you'd very rarely go and do all in one, one stint just because like, it's hard, it's long, it's committing. It's kind of, you know, it's what it is. And we'd done five of them in January. And so we had 13 left that were quite logical to link up. Um, well, to us at least. And <laughs> we decided we wanted to go and just push ourselves. None of it was that hard. It's not that technical, but it's long. There's a section in the middle that's really exposed and, and dangerous, but, you know, not too difficult. And so we decided to go and, um, and uh, try and do the remaining 13, which in two days. And mm -hmm. so we'd cover about 40 kilometers and about 5,000 meters of climbing over, over two days. Um, oh and we set off and we had to go over one mountain, the first one, to, to get to the main objective of the day, which was this traverse of two mountains. That's renowned for being difficult in windy conditions because it's very exposed and quite dangerous. And it was really windy. I mean, like, we had all our clothes on and we were just freezing and you're there just like, I'm, you know, I was like, I'm scared. It's like, we can fall off here and protecting it's very difficult. And, you know, we're just there and we're, we're only two hours into the day of our two days. And we're like, Oh, maybe this is like, we shouldn't be here. And we sort of dug a hole to go, kind of hide and get out the wind. And we're just like, right. Just take a moment. You know, we did have some bigger gloves on, but right, let's get more clothes on. We did a little bit left of clothing. More clothes on, drink some water, have some food, and just, it was still the sun hadn't come up, or it was just coming up. And it looked really scary. I was there going like, I actually don't want to be here. I think this is too dangerous. This is outside of my, my scope of what I'm willing to risk. Um, and we sat there and we're like, okay, well, look, if we go, what about if we do it this way? We had like, we had enough, we'd gone very light because we're going so far. So we'd cut corners deliberately and consciously at what, we were, what safety gear we're going to take because we needed to be light. But then there's a consequence for that. that you don't have enough safety gear. But then we're like, well, we kind of do have enough if we do this carefully like this, this and this. And we took a moment, had like 20 minutes out of the wind. It'd been like two hours in the blaze, in the gales. And we kind of recovered a bit. And the sun had come a bit more. We went out, we're like, okay, it doesn't look so bad now. Um, and we went for it. And it actually turned out to be not. It was, it was exhausting and tiring and, and exposed and mentally exhausting. And we went over these two mountains. And the plan was to stop in this little hut, this little shack that no, you're not, you know, you're sort of just bivouacking. Just, you know, there's no stove or anything. It's just like a shed on the mountain. Um, and we got there. And it was about 11, 12 in the morning. And we're just exhausted. And we, we still had two more mountains to climb that day, but we're exhausted. And we're just like, okay. And we still had seven to climb the next day. So we're just like, oh my oh God. God. But then we got into a little hut. And we're like, okay, well, let's have a sleep. We went up there, we got little beds and just like slept for an hour, woke up, made some food, had some water. And all of a sudden it's like, nah, here we go again. And then we're back out and it was just, and it was great. We had this great day and we had two more mountains that day. Then we had a, pretty good night's sleep and then we had this beautiful day covering seven mountains the next day a huge link up um that just that went into type one fun that was like pure joy the whole time for me i was like joel wasn't liking it because the altitude again we always had these moments where we give and take and who's having fun and who's not and the other one has to just help the other one along and so i was, I was right. like <laughs> he was but like was, was, dying of altitude sickness <laughs> yeah. but there was that moment on day one where i was just like i don't want to be here i don't think this is a good idea don't know what to do well I know what to do but like I don't know what decision to make yet and we took a moment regrouped eating and drinking does wonders for everything nice hot tea and a nice Snickers or Mars bar or something and, and you you know you start to start to come back to life and then you start to think differently and think more clearly and then you're like okay this is okay wow do you think that's your most dangerous climb that you've ever done like what was no. You're like, nope, I've done crazier. <laughs> that's a that's an interesting story though, because it's like it's that 
the change of weather too, I think really affected that where it's like all of a sudden. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess it's, it's kind of separate danger out from seriousness. And I think it's the difference as well between consequence and risk. And there was, a, there was an interview years ago with Alex Honnold, famous free yes. soloist. I love Alex Honnold. Uh, where he separated this, the diff, the diff, he diff, yeah, he separated consequence and risk. And it was like, well, so he gets told, oh, what you're doing is really risky. And he's like, well, no, it's not. It's very high consequence. You know, if something goes wrong, the consequences are the ultimate consequences. But the risk is low because he's aware of what he's doing, because of his skill. And because of his right. strength, and because of his experience. And so I've definitely been on mountains where it's been very serious. And you're there going like this, you know, this is one of the most serious environments I've ever been in, where the consequences are very high. But I felt the risk is manageable. I felt the risk was within my tolerance. And then I've had other times where the, there is still consequence, but much, much lower consequence. But the risks have felt way higher. Um, avalanche terrain or um, loose rock. I mean, I was on the south face of Mont Blanc this summer, which is the, 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 the Italian side of Mont Blanc. So I'm on the French side, the Italian side of Mont Blanc. And there's this route and it's just very poor quality rock. And it's long and committing. It was seven kilometer ridge with three and a half, 3,800 meter climbing two days and and we're on this rock where it's just jenga it's just stacked on top of each other you can pull it all off it's just oh my god it felt very serious you know um it was never hard the climbing was you know never hard but it was it was always very serious and we got off that and i remember just being like absolutely exhausted for days like just mentally i was just like i just couldn't the idea of the mountains like that i'm done i need to break i need to sit by the pool and put my feet up and like so it's, it, yeah, I mean, it's, it comes and goes, but there's, yeah. But I enjoy that as well. Like I, I enjoy the, I feel I thrive in an environment where there's commitment, um, where you make decisions and you've got to stand by your decisions and you've got to have confidence in your decisions. I mean, I think that's why you do what you do, right? There's no other kind of person that would... <laughs> <laughs> would probably climb mountains the way you climb if they didn't have that thought process, you know, and have that like risky bone in your body. Yeah. But it's, again, I don't like risk. I, I like to manage risk as much as possible. I like to bring it down to a level that I'm comfortable with. And right. Right. My dad doesn't like hearing about any of this. Like he just literally like, no, I don't hear like, about No, that. no, 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 no. <laughs> Absolutely. I never go into the mountains with any tension of, putting myself in an environment where I feel that's a real, realistic opportunity, realistic outcome. Like I only ever go and do things where I'm like, no, I feel it. I feel confident what I'm doing. That doesn't mean I'm always right. Accidents happen, mistakes happen and bad luck, but I never go in to an environment where I'm like, this is a coin toss. Right. Do you have any fears when you climb? Do you, have you ever had any like fears? Yeah. I mean, I compartmentalize very well. Mm -hmm. I, I've learned that about myself, that I can compartmentalize very well. So when stuff goes wrong and it's scary and yeah, and, and there have been moments where it's like, that really was luck that got me through that because of bad luck or I made a mistake or someone else made a mistake or whatever it was, like where you're saying like, that could have gone very wrong very quickly, but it didn't, thankfully, touch wood. Um, but I can compartment. I, I do find I compartmentalize that quite well. So I just I just can box it up and deal with it later. So while I'm on the mountain, generally I sort of hold it together. But then afterwards, yeah, you got you got to reconcile these things. You're learn from your mistakes for one. Um, learn from the mistakes of others, uh, and then also you've got to make sure that I constantly reevaluate whether I'm comfortable doing what I'm doing. What is the most dangerous, like? close call situation that you've had obviously you've accomplished so many but has has there been like this crazy moment where you're like that was a close one there's been times gears failed in places that i you know i'm i got you know we're okay with it like rocks have fallen and cut the ropes while we're climbing and you're like that could have 
been much wow. worse. Um, yeah, I've been close to, you know, falling crevasses, but your rope tops are generally safe. In terms of sort of like luck, real lucky escapes, I've, I've been fortunate enough to kind of avoid. Uh, like serious danger. Avoid most of them. Wow. Or maybe I've just like repressed the memories. <laughs> You're like, let me push them down. <laughs> like I don't climb. So like for me, when I'm asking somebody, what do those dangers look like? Like, yeah, falling rock, like no idea that, you know, that stuff could happen or. And that's something that is more apparent now. And we are on the, we see it here as very much the front line of, of climate change right. where the temperatures are all over the place and the mountains are falling down, like genuinely wow. falling down. And actually on that note, there was one moment where we're climbing this mountain. Um, it's a two-day traverse. We're doing me and a friend, and the first we're going over about five or six mountains again, sort of this link-up thing. And and we are going over the first two, which are very well travelled and very popular. And we got onto the third one, and we just moved into an area that's just more unstable. Wow. And we were I, we had a rope on, obviously, and we I got to this some cord around a rock and I'm like, oh, yeah, clipped in to make it safe. And I was on this big ledge. I wasn't really worried because I was on this big ledge. And as my partner stepped on the ledge, the whole thing collapsed underneath us. <gasps> and, oh my God. And, and all of a sudden we're hanging on this rock where we've got 1,000, you know, the best part of a mile of air underneath us, like 1,500 meters of air underneath us. And you're then looking at this rock we're, we're tied onto, and we're like, well, if that just collapsed, that could go too. And, and then all of a sudden you're like, this is, this sucks. I don't want to be here. This is like, whoa. But there wasn't really, it's come through a really difficult and dangerous point to get there. So there wasn't really a way back. And so it was like the safest way was to carry on. But that was very much the, the, what we see day to day here. And so rock fall, mountains falling down, that's, that's really, that scares me more than anything. That really, and that's and that's our impact on the world. I mean, that that is us. I mean, this is this is the, the the permafrost, this glue that holds the mountains together, is melting. Wow! And that's that's all us, and that's just making them killing the mountains. That's insane to see it firsthand like that, like literally climbing, and then you see the effects of of climate change. I think a lot of times, and I said this before in another interview, but when you're in the comforts of our city yeah. homes, you don't see the real effects of uh, of our world on the mountains and our and nature. But when you see a glacier up front or a mountain crumbling underneath you, you really, really start realizing. So um, that is insane that that happened, but also I'm glad you're okay. <laughs> so obviously you got through it. You just, you guys just climbed up. <laughs> It took some took some balancing of the mental books afterwards. I feel it was, uh, yeah, it took a bit of bit of work, but it's you know you yeah you reconcile it because it's somewhere that still makes me so happy to be. With great risk, there is great reward, right? Yeah. What do you have to do to prepare yourself to climb? I try and keep a good base level of fitness, so running and just generally keeping myself sort of, I'm, if an opportunity arises, I'm able to say yes. Eat well, rest well in between, you know, when you're doing lots, it's, it's key to, to, to work on what you're eating and drinking just to make sure that you're, you know, you're there. And mentally, just try and do what I can to be kind to myself, to, to really let myself process what I go through or what I'm going through. I definitely have objectives, things I want to do and when I want to do them, but you can never control that. The weather's going to change all of that or affect all of that. So it's just, I just try and stay ready, if I'm honest. I try and keep myself in a position where I'm ready. And, and also like this time of year where um, actually I, I don't have to particularly be ready. And actually now's a good time to unwind and disconnect. It's like kind of let myself go, eat too many cookies, you know, have a beer or two. And, you know. So you're, you're always at optimal fitness Ooh. where... <laughs> no that comes and goes for sure it definitely comes and goes um but you just pick the objective that fits with where you're at if i'm feeling strong and fit then i can i feel more confidence choose or the, you know like what mood physically mentally emotionally I'm in 
guides what motivates me to climb in the mountains as well. You know, if I'm feeling really fit and want that big push, then I'll look for those things. If I just want to have an easy day, then I'll look for that as well. So just go with the flow. Do you do a lot of, you know, obviously planning your routes and all that, like before, I guess you plan with your partner or your group Mm -hmm. of like how you're going to go climb this thing and and you do that kind of preparation Mm -hmm. as well, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, so yeah, there'll be guidebooks around of what you need for the route. You'll be able to read other people's blog posts if they've climbed to give you an idea of what might be involved. It's always different and changes. So you look at the weather and make sure that the conditions are what they are. These days with social media, there's there's going to be a uh, someone's posted on it or, you know, sometimes you're the first. There's a few times we're the first on routes this summer. But then when we did it, we got I got lots of messages from people being like, oh, can I have some information? And, you know, give and take as part of the community. Yeah, research is key. Knowing what you're going into and having as good an idea of what you're going into as possible. Yeah, so you don't ever climb, like, a difficult route blindly. You always do the preparation. Not deliberately. <laughs> so there are some routes where you go, oh, okay, I guess I'm going to do this now. Yeah, you're like, oh, whoops, it's gone the wrong way. I guess we'll see what's up here. And it's, <laughs> it's a different experience. It's something that I'm learning about, but that's something that I want to develop for sure, like that strength and capacity and confidence to, to be able to be in those environments, you know? Right. Do you have a particular person that inspired you to start climbing? Like, obviously you know like any heroes that you have that you you hope to you know be like um, yeah when i was first starting out there was yuli steck who sadly passed away a few years ago um there have been climbers and there are climbers to this day that just that i would just you know i just look at them like wow i want to move like that person i want to be able to be on those things for that person and and the great thing about the community here is there are a lot of amazing top level climbers and, and these are people who are friends now as well so it's, it's amazing to have friends that i'm inspired by and, and just look up to um but then we can share a beer and feel you know pretend i'm not starstruck in the evening right and there's a bit of a community there then i guess i mean you guys are right next to the mountains there are people that actually live there that just that's their whole life i had no idea yeah whether it's mountain guides and exactly all year round there's uh, about 10,000 people who live this it's not a small town and um and see all year round we have people living here and it also brings people obviously by by the nature of the town and the history and the the opportunities there it it becomes a place that a lot of people want to seek out and uh so you end up meeting these incredible people like everyone comes through here that's cool what are some of the most fulfilling things you face during your climbs? We talked about some of the dangerous things, but one of the, what are the most fulfilling moments uh, you've had up there? And that sense of accomplishment, for sure. Uh, that sense of accomplishment of achieving something you didn't know was possible, or you didn't know if you could do it, or how well you would get through it, or you get through it and you feel like better than you thought you would. I mean, like for sure, like you know, the journey, yeah. But like when you get to that summit or you get back down to the car, more importantly, um, and you're like, wow, we did that. And it's just, you look up at mountains, you're like, oh, I've that. And it's just, it's just amazing. And the great thing about someone like here is you just look up and you can see them everywhere. You're like, oh, I've climbed that one, that one. You can like just sit there and be like, oh, wow. Like it just, it really gives you a moment to appreciate how fortunate I've been. Um, and, but yeah, it's just that sense of, unknown of you go into something going like can we do this are we good enough and then when you do you're like okay cool nice you're like ha (laughs) that's amazing any tips or tricks for someone who has never done alpine climbing but wants to do it what are your pieces of advice first of all 100 percent, especially with alpinism because it is very dangerous it's done incorrectly is proper training, like having a proper alpine guide training. And just so even just a short course to learn about crevasses, basic rope work, moving the mountains and what the objective dangers are. I think learning, getting some, some quality instruction is, is absolutely crucial. And then it's trying to find and maybe build a small you know, community or join a community of like-minded people that you can share these things with. And then it's just a wonderful journey you can go on together and that group will evolve and change but it will it will provide you with a lifetime of memories and so much experience 
Um, who's like the most meaningful person that you've met on your trails or travels? That's a tough one. It's probably a lot of people. <laughs> there are, and everyone's had these these small impacts and influences. And as someone I met who's a running, who's a runner, professional runner, and running coach who has become a good friend. But he would just keep coming out with little tips, you know, like just on how to be more efficient in the mountains or whatever. But they were sort of like things that have really influenced how I approach things, not just running. Very early on when I first met him, he mentioned this, this concept of considered practice. Take Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers, where you do 10,000 hours of something and you can become a pro. And so, well, yeah, but... If you just go and do something for 10,000 hours, you won't. If you really try and learn each time, you try and learn something from every experience, you have considered, you practice, you consider what you're doing while you're practicing, then you really learn. And for me, that's one of the most important pieces of advice I've ever got. And, and every time I go and do anything, short, easy run, hardest climb, everything in between, is what can I learn today? What can I learn from this moment that's going to help me next time? Maybe I try a different running gait. Maybe I try a different something, you know, like anything it is, or like something goes wrong, learn from that. But everything, I, I try and learn something from everything I do. And I felt that's helped me the most because when your brain is in that sort of learning mode, you learn more as well, you learn other things. And I think that really helps keep me developing. And that's the most important thing of this because as, as much as it might look like I'm, you know, I've got the experience experience I've gotten relative to some people of course I've got experience but I still feel I've got so much to learn I've still got so far to go and and so as long as I keep learning then uh, I can keep developing your favorite mountain that you've climbed I know you said this already but which one was it I would say oh it's hard to say it really is hard to say because you know the matter they've all had so many different experiences um Climbing the south face of Mont Blanc is like a dream. Like being on that face, that huge face, was just a dream for me. Um, climbing the Matterhorn in a single push was just stunning. It's an iconic mountain that's just like, you know, yes. chocolate is made in the shape of it, you know. Uh, it's, there's, oh, there's been too many. So, I can't we, say. yeah. So, those two, so Matterhorn and Mont Blanc, those two mountains, any tips or tricks for someone who's planning on doing that climb or who wants to do that climb? I research it and train. I mean, they're, they're very different approaches in terms of how you would climb them. Like Mount Blanc's much more of an alpine mountain, whereas uh, Matterhorn is much more rock climbing. The great thing about those mountains is it does take other mountains to prepare for it. And again, some mm -hmm. advice I got early on was don't get so blinkered by the end objective that you realize you missed the fact that you climbed some mountains on the way to get there. And so with all of this, as much as you're going to go and climb your main objective in America, it might be Denali, you know, Mount McKinley, Denali. You're going to have to do a lot of climbing before you get there, Mount Rainier, you know, like, so enjoy that, you know, enjoy the whole, all the mountains you get to climb on the way because you'll find some beautiful experiences that you never knew you'd have. Are you planning on doing any other climbs, like, outside of that area? What's your end goal right now? Because I know that probably... At the moment, I'm very much focusing just on the European Alps, but I, I really have dreams of climbing in uh, Patagonia, in, in Argentina, uh, as well as North America, both the United States and Canada, um, for rock climbing and alpinism. I'd love to see what my body does at altitude, like proper altitude, so going to the Himalayas and seeing what happens at six, 7,000 meters, and if I can, am I fit enough, am I strong enough to be at those levels? Um, Oh, who knows? I mean, you know, yeah, exactly. I hope so. I would love to know. I'd love to see what happens. Oh, God, it flattens me just as much as everyone else. I acclimatise quickly. I do find I'm lucky that I acclimatise relatively quickly. But I'm the slowest. This summer I've been slowest. quite well acclimatised. Um, that's normal. That's, but I know mountain guides and professional climbers who acclimatise slowly. There's no problem with that. You just have to make sure that you factor that into your schedule. You know, if you've got, if you've got to climb Mont Blanc, and it takes you a long time to acclimatize, then you just need to make sure you give yourself enough time to acclimatize to do it. You'll get there, but just just learn about, yeah, trust your body. What is one interesting item that you take with you when you climb? Do you take anything interesting? Maybe something that you're like, I need this one thing. I have to take yeah. it. I find, for me, food is very important. So I'll always take something that's like a, a treat, something that's like a happy snack. It doesn't have to be sweet. It could be savory, whatever. But like something that I'm like, when things aren't going well and I need that 
emotional boost and that happiness. Like, I can grab that. Like, I'm gonna eat that. Make me feel better. Like, it's all food. I love food. I got it. That's why I do all of this. It's so I can eat anything I want. Yeah. So you have to bring your like piece of chocolate or something that's gonna go. This is why I'm doing exactly. this. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> very interesting all right so what is a piece of advice that you can give to a young charlie trust yourself trust your judgment i think we all could do with listening to that voice inside our heads that's we've developed nurtured our experience and our, our judgment over years and i think just making sure that i trust that as long as i listen to that and i'm honest with myself then everything will be okay another question i have two more um do you have do you, do you want sponsorship are you sponsored right now what are your goals in that realm yeah. and i am yes i'm sorry i mean i work for the north face um so that's not really sponsorship but they do look after me in terms of of, of that and then I've, i'm sponsored by uh kesley skis uh, who obviously provides skis and uh petzl uh, who is a, a, a climbing hardware company so they provide harnesses and, and helmets and protection sort of things as well as Sun God for sunglasses, which is great. Obviously, you always need sunglasses for eyes protect, eye, eye protection. And then uh, Jaybird for my music. So when I'm running, I can have, you know, they look after me for headphones and that type of thing. And then Chorus Watchers who are tracking. So, you know, I'm very lucky that I, I live where I live and, and I'm supported in a way that allows me to explore as much as I can as I do. And how, when you were trying to look for a sponsor, did they approach you? Were you like looking for one? Like, how did you, cause I'm sure there's like people that are going to listen to this and be like, how do I do that? You know, how do I get to where Charlie is, where? It's a bit of both, if I'm honest. Um, it's a bit of both. Some people approach me. Some people like liked what I was doing. I like, we want to help. Um, and then others, it was, I approached them and I was like, look, uh, I, I'm doing, you know, especially this project with a 4,000 year peak. I was like, I'm doing this project. I could do with some support, you know, equipment's expensive and, uh, you know, so, and I use, you know, all of the, everyone I'm sponsored by is a brand that I've been using anyway. These are all brands that I really believe in anyway. And so it's like, well, look, I'm doing this now. Can you help me make it so I just makes my life a bit easier so I can focus more on the project, more on what I'm doing. But it's, 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 yeah, I mean, like, it's just, ask if you don't ask you don't get right. <laughs> right yeah and i think yeah like i'm sure people are going to listen to this and they're uh they're pursuing they're, they're not quite where you are maybe they are and they're just like wanting to have that that you know that's their next step so i'm sure it'll help them just to know that it's like okay this is the thing that i have to do charlie said so you know so that that thank you for that piece of advice i'm sure like you know because everybody's got to start somewhere right and they're trying to get to where you are and and it's it's cool to have somebody to look up to um where can we find you charlie i'm mostly on instagram pretty much only on instagram if i'm honest um so yeah it's charlie.radcliffe weird spelling for charlie but i'm sure you guys share that but it's uh, charlie.radcliffe and and i share everything on there so between my posts and my stories so and if anyone's got any questions just hit me up i'm always willing to help and ask and answer like that Thank you so much for being a part of this. Yes, I'm just so glad I got to meet you and hear your story. And I just totally admire what you do. And thank you. Thank you so much for joining me on the Roaming the Earth podcast, stories and adventures of people who are jet setters, nomads, and explorers. This is Drea Castro signing off. Join us again next time. Stay wild. If you're interested in hearing more stories from around the globe, don't forget to subscribe, share it to your friends, and follow me on Instagram on I'm Roaming the Earth.